This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Donna Rebido, who during her near-death experience had a conversation with God, and today we're going to learn about it. Donna, thank you so much for being my guest, and welcome. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. All right, Donna, my audience loves to hear about near-death experiences, so if you don't mind, can we start on the day yours happened and go from there? Yeah, you bet. Um, my family, were we were fishing and camping up in the northern Adirondacks in upstate uh, New York. And we'd been gone out in the boat on the morning, and we were doing some fishing. And we wanted to get as much watercraft experience while we could, so we decided to convert the boat from fishing to ski a ski boat for the afternoon. And we weren't skiing, but we had a lake toy, and it was towed by the tow rope around around the lake. So on the boats, my brother-in-law, his nephew, and a baby, my nephew's, his nephew's baby, about three years old. On the lake toy, which was called a bullet, you sit on the bullet and they drag you around the lake, was my sister and I. And we're having some fun and the idea is to get spilled off and get back on the boat and do it again. And we were having a riot, having a lot of fun. When we've been, we'd been tipped off the boat, and my brother-in-law said, come on back in. And we came back in on the boat. And then what happened was we, my sister's behind me and then myself, and we sat on the bullet. And my sister took the tow rope. So there's no slack in the tow rope. And we're actually on the boat. We get on the bullet, and we pull away. And she lets the tow rope out. So there's really no slack. We get all the way to the end of the tow rope, and we hear my brother-in-law yell, get off the bullet, the boat is sinking. Now, it's impossible for that boat to have sunk because there's a torque screw in the bottom of the boat that every spring you torque wrench that on. So it's really impossible for water to get in that boat. So the reason I'm telling you this is there's several physical things that happened that were impossible. It's just freaky that what happened. So the first thing was that there was water on the boat. So... We we're like, oh my God, what is, what's going on with that? So I look behind me to see which way my sister's going to throw the rope. So I look back, she throws it to the left. I roll off the bullet to the right. So we're now off the bullet and the, you know, the, the force of our getting off the bullet makes it get in the sight line between my brother-in-law and us in the water. We have our life, uh, life jackets on. But we can hear the the boat going to start up. And for some reason, I looked down in the water. And the tow rope is wrapped around my left leg. And my thought was, that's physically impossible for the tow rope to be around my leg. Because remember, it's a, it's a nylon rope. It's on the top of the water. There's no, there's not, it's not weighted. It couldn't go below me, let alone wrap around my leg. So this is happening in like split seconds from the time he yells, get off the bullet, we roll in the, uh, roll in the lake, and I look down. I hear the motor start, 
And there's no way I can reach down and get that rope off my leg. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, this is going to hurt. This is really going to hurt. So he starts up, and, and, it, and it's a powerful motor. It's a twin engine. I don't know how many horsepower, but it's, it's not a little, it's really not a little fishing boat as, as such. It's a fish-ski boat combo. So he takes off, and the tow rope strangles my leg to the bone above the knee. And I'm drug underwater at a high rate of speed. And the pain, the explosion of pain that I had when my leg was strangled was, oh, my God. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a couple of quick sessions of thoughts. Um, my first thought was, all that education, and I don't know how to get the rope out of my leg. <laughs> you know, I have these college degrees, and I'm going, oh, my God, I can't get the, can't get the rope off. The second thing was the force of the water was hitting the air out of my lungs. So I was actually watching my air bubbles escape, and I'm thinking, oh, I really could use that air. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. The third thing was, now I know how I'm going to die. And I don't know, Jeff, you've had a lot of people on your podcast. I would imagine that you really know they had a near-death experience if they say to themselves, now I know how I'm going to die. Because you're sitting there going, well, this is it. This is how I'm going to die. I'm going to drown. And then I was just kind of hanging out. I mean, I'm being drugged underwater. I'm drowning. And I just, like, you know, try to relax. And I thought, my next thought was, where are they going to have the funeral, Jeff? Mm. Are they going to have it in Arizona or in New York? And as soon as I had that thought, boom, out of my body. I popped out of my body. And it's really like, uh, it's really like a pop. And then I went through like this, this veil. It's, it's, I, I say light because it's similar to saran wrap or some thin veil. And I passed through this. And the first thought now, I'm dead, I'm drowned. My, my thought process is this. Oh, there's no time here. I absolutely felt the difference between time and eternity. And, I, and you, there's, no, there's no words, there's no concepts, there's no vocabulary that we have that can explain that, that I can tell you how that feels. Then, even though I'm dead and I don't have a body, it feels like you do, kind of like Rob, Robert Monroe from the Monroe Institute called it like a jello mold. So when you first pop out of your body, you have the shape of your body. You, don't, haven't, you haven't gotten into your energy body or your aesthetic body yet. So it feels like you have your body. So I'm looking down at my body. Well, I don't have eyes and I don't have a body, but that's what I'm thinking. And I go, oh, I know where every cell in my body was, and they were laughing. They were smiling. It's like they had their own personalities. And I'm sitting there looking at my body going, what are you guys laughing at? <laughs> You know, what are you doing? And they were laughing. They were smiling. And then all of a sudden, telepathy started happening. And all the cells in my body said, he's coming. He's coming. And now I'm looking, remember, I'm looking down at my body and I look up. And you know the picture of the cosmos behind you right now? It's God came up over the top of the earth. And I was like, oh, my God, the creator of the universe I am good, you know, and I'm being pulled toward the creator of the universe. <clears throat> then this time thing, I don't know if people talk about time, but it's this weird time thing. So there's no time, but I'm going to talk about time. Just like I have no body, but I'm going to talk about my body. So with time, I was in all places at once learning all things at the same time. <clears throat> And everything started happening 
telep like to with telepathy. So the creator of the universe is like, hi. And I'm like, hi, this is, this is hi, this is kind of cool. Oh my gosh. And it was like the Aurora Borealis. So the creator of the universe is this big energy. Like if you ever watch the Aurora and it's kind of this gigantic moving electric thing, that's what the creator of the universe presented himself to me. And it's not a he, it's not a pronoun. It's not he, she, it, but we use, we use he for argument's sake, but it's, um, so sacred that I don't I don't know how to say it except creator of the universe. And then he starts talking to me. And it's talking at the same time. So as he starts to say something, it's immediately in my mind. And I'm immediately understanding it and immediately answering him. So he's saying, I am the creator of the universe. And I'm going, oh my God, you're the creator of the universe. <laughs> he says, I have created everything. I even know the number of grains of sand on a beach in New Zealand. As that happens, I'm catapulted down to a beach in New Zealand, and my eye is like right up against the sand, and I'm going. I knew exactly how much grains of sand were on that beach in New Zealand. And then I'm catapulted back up in front of his presence, and I'm zipping through space, through galaxies, and I'm getting all this information, and I start having... Things shot through my body, which I don't have a body, and it's love. So it, it actually has felt physically visceral what love felt like, and it was the most... If, if you took something that you love on this earth and multiplied it, multiplied it by 100,000 times, it's not even close to what this love is. This is why people don't come back. The love was every cell in my body. It was so loving and so caring and so... He called me by my name. Every one of us has our own name that the creator of the universe doesn't know me as God. I mean, doesn't know me as Don. I would say, oh, and I don't want to say my name. It's very sacred between me and God. Sorry, audience. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I'm wrapped in this love and it's going through my body like straight on and coming down, down like vertical into my head or all this knowledge about how the uh, operation of the world works you know, how things work, um, how things work, why, why things work. And I'm just, I'm in awe. I'm just like, I'm having this wild ride. I'm, I mean, I'm just in, you know, we're having this conversation, you know, Donna, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. That was really a good life. That was really fantastic. And then all of a sudden he says, well, what do you want to do here? Now, again, it's telepathy, so it's my interpretation of that. Now, one of the things I do, I was a college professor and I taught psychology, but I grew up in the, the psychology of the 70s where you do active listening. So I'm, a lot of my background's in active listening. So God says to me, well, what do you want to do here? So I do active listening with God. I go like this. I go, so is what I hear you saying. <laughs> and he's like laughing at me for... You're doing active listening with me, really, the creator of the universe? I said, yeah, so I just want to make sure. So is what you're saying is you want to know whether I want to live or die? So I said, so is what you're saying is you want, you want to know if I want to live or if I want to die? And, he's like, and then the funniest thing happened, Jeff, like if, an, if the aurora borealis could smile and crackle, this big electric across the universe crackling smile, like, yeah, I want to know if you want to live or die. And I was like, oh. Then what I said next, Jeff, was not anything I would prepare for. I would have scripted. I would have said what came out of my mouth, which I 
don't have a mouth, but my thoughts, whatever I said, well, since you made me, I give the answer to you. As soon as that happened, I realized what I just did. And I turned my face and I went, oh, shit. And then I went, oh, I just swore in front of God. (laughs) I was just like, oh, my God. And then two things happened. One, I understood what surrender meant. I surrendered my choice. And I got a download and information about like when you go back, you're going to tell people how important choice is. You gave away your choice. You're a human being and you have choice. And you're going to tell people the importance of choice. And I'm talking about, Jeff, every single moment inside your brain, choice. Not just, you know, if I do I want to wear these blue pants today or these green pants. We're talking about everything that is happening in front of you every second in your thought process. You're making choices about how you want to think about it whether how you want to think about yourself. Oh, man, I can't believe I did that. I'm such an idiot. That's a choice. Or um, you see something on the news and go, oh, that person should blah, blah, blah. That's a choice. So, I, you know, they, they rolled through my brain the importance of choice. Now, again, remember, I've given the choice to God, so I'm waiting to hear what I'm, what's going to happen to me. So surrender means not knowing the next moment. In living in the present moment, how important that is for people. We only have the present moment. We don't have the past. We don't have the future. You just, it's, it's, that's what you have. And so I had to wait. And because I told you before about time, I, don't, I can't tell you how long I drowned. I can't tell you how long I had this experience. I can't tell you how long I waited for God's answer. But I, it seemed like forever. And, and I knew why I was waiting. I looked to my right off into the distance, and I knew that there was a demarcation line, that if I went over this line, I'm going to be dead, dead. I'm, I'm near dead. I'm, I'm not dead, dead yet. I mean, and I'm dead, but I'm not, I'm not dead, dead. And I looked over there, and I went, well, I, you know, this could be it, you know, even though I'm dead, you know, whatever. I'm waiting. And so it's kind of like another big smile. <laughs> you go back and you tell people. You go back and tell people about this. And it's like I was um, out, like all fours were out in space. Like I was being held, in a, held up in space. And then I got untethered. And I rapidly fell back to earth. I was actually falling back to earth, and I heard this. Honest to God, Jeff, I heard this. Good answer. As I'm falling back, I was like, God just told me I had a good answer. I just was freaked out. Then I snapped back into my body and I'm drowned. So how can you be how can you be dead, near dead, almost dead, dead, alive and drowned? But that was me. So I'm back in my body and I said to myself, What was that? What just happened to me? What was that? And I heard the boat turn off. The next physically impossible thing was I looked out at my leg and the rope was embedded in my leg. It strangled my leg to the femur. I had no space. It was actually strangled. They don't understand why I didn't rupture my femoral artery. How We, we have no idea. And I thought, how are we going to get this? This rope can't come undone. I start lifting my hands to swim to the surface and human hands came under my armpits 
and the rope came undone. I got to the um, surface. There was no one there. I don't know who drugged me up. I, I know what I felt, physically felt. And then I had to get rid of, I had to get rid of all the water that was in my lungs. And <clears throat> my sister was watching this. Remember, she was on the bullet with me, and that's her husband. She said, I was watching my husband kill my sister. So she has, she has a lot of trauma around that too. But she was swimming like 800 miles an hour to get to me. And I just kept yelling, don't look at my leg, don't look at my leg. I grabbed my calf because I figured if I kicked it off, I twitched, I would kick my leg off and it would sink to the bottom. But if I had it with me, at least I could carry it under my arm. So I grabbed my leg hoping that, well, if I twitch it off, I can at least have it and they can reattach it in the uh, emergency room. So um, I went into shock. They went. My brother-in-law didn't realize the extent of my injuries. He went to the shore. They got a new boat. They came out and got me, and I got rescued. And I actually, I still have my leg, but I have an artificial knee. I have a lot of problems with it. So people that like near-death experiences, when you talk to us, it's usually a trauma. So I'm an athlete with, with one leg, <laughs> mm. but it's, it's still attached. Well, Donna, thank you for sharing your experience. That was an amazing story. I first want to start back with, you said that you could feel time, and I've never heard that before. You said it was unexplainable, but do you think you can try to explain feeling time? Yeah, I actually, when I came back, I have more psychic powers coming back, and I can feel time on my skin. So when it's really quiet in a room, and I can hear a clock ticking, even if there's no clock ticking, I can hear it. I can hear a clock ticking, and I feel it in my skin. So something happened um, that was significant around time. So when I crossed over, it was a void. It was a void of time. There was no, there was no ticking. There was no sequence. It was like everything happening at once and differently. And what I tell people is there's no concepts here. Now, I'm a college professor, so we're really good about vocabulary and concepts and trying to educate people. And I can't. I can't tell you there's no concept for everything happening at once differently together. And there was a void of time. It was a, like a, a void. It was um, when I crossed back over and became alive, I could feel it start back up. So there's something here in the 3D that... It's kind of like, it's just weird for us as human beings to try to deal with this time thing because we, we just don't do well with past, present, and future. We don't do well with present. We always are thinking about the past or projecting ourselves into the future, and we don't do well with the present moment. But that was made very important to me to understand that. So what, how I've lived my life differently, how I do live my life differently is that understanding of every single moment of the present total present every single moment of my experience and my thoughts and so I'm kind of like this frozen time thing (laughs) for a college professor that's pretty crappy explanation well you said you feel it onto your on my skin yeah what does it feel like um no one asked me that question before that's a great question um, it feels like something alive in my skin, like a, like a, almost like a heartbeat. Like if you could feel, you know, like sometimes you can feel your heartbeat or you, 
That's what it feels like in my skin. Like I can feel that beat, beat of time in my skin, like a heartbeat. Do you think it's possible that when you're feeling that you're so in presence of the, of the moment that you're, you're down to feeling your heartbeat? You know, people ask me that and I, and I try to, you know, as a, as a scientist, of course, I would try to understand that myself. Is it just my heartbeat or is it time? But it's not, it's different. And I can take my pulse. I understand my pulse. I've taken, you know, 10,000 pulses in my lifetime and you kind of get a feel for what that feels like, but this is a different feeling. It's um, like cellular. It's not like a vessel. It's not a heart. It's not an organ or a vessel. It's more cellular. It's more (laughs) DNA-ish. I'm not exactly completely clear on the importance of choice. Okay. Because it sounded like surrendering your choice was even better than making a choice. No, I, you know, that's another good question. People ask me all the time and people have heard my story and they say, now I just surrender. Now I just surrender. And I, and I don't agree with that. Um, that's a, but that's a great distinction. Um, I think when you, when you have a choice, you're responsible. And I think it's very important for all of us to be responsible with our choices. Um, when you surrender, there's a couple of types of surrender. There's a suicidal surrender, and there's a surrender of I'm overwhelmed by the, you know, my opponent surrender. This is different. This is a, <clears throat> this is a responsible. Be responsible for how you think. Be responsible for that that choice instead of being. Um, there's there's a difference between ebb and flow, and going along the current. Um, that's a that's a different concept than what I'm trying to say here. It's a it's a choice of how I think. So maybe that's the distinction in thinking, as opposed to, um, like if like I said before about the choice between where I, what color pants do I wear. It's not a big choice. It's not about thinking. It's just put something on. This is more about how I view my fellow man and how I view myself. Kind of choice. The importance of that. Um, that choice to be responsible for how I feel about things instead of um, not, you know, sitting on the fence, not having a, a thought about it. Do you think we're presented in our lives all the time with choices of doing the right and wrong things? And it almost seems easier to do the wrong things and it takes work to do the right things and make that choice. Okay. That's a loaded question. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> holy cow. Morality. Um, let's see. I think working with children, I I think a lot of times children know right and wrong. You know, we've done a lot of child child psychology. We do a lot of experiments with children about, you know, telling them right and wrong and then leaving the room and filming them and seeing what they do. (laughs) They, They always know the right and wrong choices. So growing up, I think we know that as we mature, we begin our defense mechanisms and we begin rationalizing our choices away. And so that muddles the water of good and bad. So with regard to morality, I think people have to be very careful with how they've rationalized um, themselves. You know, I, I, as a college professor, I'd like to see logic taught back into colleges. You know, how do you, how do you logically work through what we call an argument or a proposition and try to keep the, um, the right choice the morality, the good and bad, um, to kind of help you with that. 
But we live in a gray world. We live in a planet that's gray. It's not, you know, it's, it's not always when, we're, when you and I are presented a choice, it's Jeff's choice about this situation or it's Donna's choice about this situation. And we don't always have all the information, correct? I mean, we don't, we don't always have the best information. You know, maybe someone didn't tell us something or we didn't, we, we just don't have all the pieces of information. So my sister and I tell each other, you have to make the best choice that you can with the best information that you can and not, not look back on it. To me, that's more of a difference between uh, a moral choice or a um, specific choice that you're making about human beings, how you feel about things. So it's not, it's not as easy. It's not black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the choice that I had to make was uh, one that I hadn't, I hadn't expected. I hadn't expected to say that. With the amount of love that I was feeling, I fully expected myself to say, yeah, let's go. Let's cross that line. I'm not going back. Because there's no, there's, there's no feeling on earth like the feeling I have right at this moment. No one would really want to go back to earth. So that choice is different than a moral choice and different than choices that I make about how I feel about my fellow citizen. I was thinking about choices because it appeared that it was very important to God about us making choices. Yes. Can you, do you think you can elaborate more? Why is that so important to God? That's a great question. I've never been asked to speak on God's behalf before, so let me, let me do my best. <laughs> okay, let me, let me see what I think he's, he might say. Because <laughs> we're not puppets. Of you know, course. There's, yeah. We're not puppets. You know, the, there's... People argue about predestination versus free will for thousands of years, you know, and I can't get caught up in, there's certain arguments, Jeff, I can't get caught up on. It's just not logically worth it to me. I'd rather spend my time loving, evolving, Mm -hmm. um, making making good choices that I can each moment about Mm -hmm. how I think about myself and others. I'd rather spend my time there than worry about... um, I mean, God loves us so much. The amount of love that God has for each individual, everybody's going to have a designer death. You know, you've had 200 people with 200 stories, and they're not all the same. We don't always see a tunnel. We don't always have loved ones. It's different. So I call it a designer death because God loves us. He's designed us individually. The conversations that he and I had were individual to Donna and God. And the love that's there is so individual and so unique and so powerful that he he just allows us that. He gives us guides, don't forget. You know, we have guides, we have helpers, we have community to help us through all those choices. I love the way you called it or used the words designer death. And in the beginning, you said that the things that were happening were freaky, like the boat sinking and the water, the rope being so deep under the water. Do you think God designed that death or NDE, or do you think you did it pre-birth? Um, then we have to go into how this changed my whole belief system. Mm-hmm. I don't think my whole concept of how things are organized, my whole cosmology, changed because of my near-death experience. So um, my belief system is totally rearranged about, about uh, who's on the other side, Mm-hmm. Spirit groups, soul groups, choices we make. Um, I okay. Let me say it this way. My thought, Donna's thought, based on all my experiences, is that I sat in God's lap beforehand, get out the big book, and say, 
okay, how, what's going to help me evolve in this iteration? And I, I don't know how I believe in reincarnation, but I'm going to talk about reincarnation. So when I was reincarnated, it was like me and my guides are going to talk about what's the best way I can evolve myself and evolve for others on this planet. And we can make choices on some generalities with regard to I want to be born in this family at this time in this place. I want to be able to have these kinds of experiences. And even though it might not have been a designer death in the sense of the exact rope, I knew that part of my purpose of being here was to have that death, to survive that death and to come back and talk about it on your radio show. Mm -hmm. I know that that was part of the whole plan. The individual day-by-day stuff, I don't think God really worries about too much. It's like, how are you going to evolve with choices you make? You know, how you make, you make good choices, you're evolving. That was a good one. Oh, good one, Donna. You did good there. And, and I can feel myself better and better and better how I think about things. But I don't know specifically that God planned for that exact rope to be there. I don't get into that much of a detail. I don't care about that detail. It's like, I died, I drowned, I surrendered, I had choices, I came back, I'm talking to you. You mentioned that since your NDE, you have psychic powers. Can you tell us about that? Well, I've always had psychic things since I was little. So, um, <clears throat> could see things, hear things. Um, I could uh, project myself into other people's thoughts. In other words, when I was a little kid, um, we were on the playground and someone uh, stumbled or they were crying. So it was like an empathetic response. And I'd go, I wonder what they're feeling. And I could go inside them and go, oh, man, that's, they had a bad day. Their dad yelled at them. Oh. And then I'd come back out into me, and I'd go over and hug them and go, I'm sorry your dad did that. And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like, How do you know that? I thought everybody could do that. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, I found out a little while later when I said something to my sister, like, well, just go inside them and figure that out. And they're like, go inside them? What the heck are you doing? You're like, I'm mm-hmm. seven years old. What do you mean? What are you talking about? So just go inside them. And then I realized, oh, you can't do that. And then something else would come up and I'd say, oh, well, just, you know, just look into the future or, you know, just look five days ahead and you can see that. So I've always had, I've always had that. So now I'm doing, um, so I'm a spoon bender, remote viewer, uh, you know, um, doing stuff like that, ESP. Can you tell us a little bit about your spiritual or religious background before and after your NDE? Yeah, this is a tough one for me because um, the sacred to me is very, um, I keep my sacredness close to my heart. But for your audience, yes, I was raised Roman Catholic. um, So I had a Roman Catholic cosmology. And I'm from Buffalo, New York, so from... The East Coast, it's, you know, tons of Catholics, so, you know, just, that's how it is. And <clears throat> so when I died, none of that cosmology was anything that I saw or heard or none of it. There was no, there's nothing that was there. And the things that were told to me and shown me were not, not even close. So for me, it became mystical. So... It became more from religion to spirituality, and I was trying to find out, was there a a thread or a type of um, mysticism in the Catholic Church? And there is. 
So there was a lot of there's a lot of background, very very similar to the Jewish religion, the Kabbalah, Kabbalah, Kabbalah. So there are some parts of Catholicism that are very mystical. So I would th- say that I'm more, um, I'm, if I had to say who I was, I'm a I'm a Roman Catholic Zen Buddhist mystical near death experiencer. Hmm. I guess that's who I am. So Can I look you- at things totally different, totally just just. Not even close. Can you give us some examples of the mystic Catholicism that you're referring to? Well, John of the Cross, there's a lot of Spanish mystics. There was a lot of mysticism in the early church. Um, they had to speak in tongues. That's <laughs> you know, like not, not usually normal. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's lots of a, a thread, the Essenes, the Essenes, the Essenes, and it kind of rumbles through the history of it to... Um, the, the, probably the most common are the Spanish mystics, Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross, and recently, most recently, Padre Pio in Italy. And so what they are is that they're really living the life that um, Jesus asked us to live about loving our neighbors. And that's what I'm about, you know, just to love. It's about love. It really is about love. That's what you take there. You take the love in your heart is, what you, is, is what's going to be, it's not even judged, it's not even... I don't even want to use the word judgment. What's in your heart? Since you've been back from your NDE, how have you changed as a person? Oh, my gosh. Not even funny. Um, um, More patient, more um, alive in each moment, more... um, I can't say I laugh more because I used to laugh a lot. I've always found humor in things myself. But um, in terms of how I view things, so that things that happen, so things that happen to me, things that happen in my family, things that happen in my community, things that happen in my state, in my country, how things that are happening on the planet, I look at so differently, so expansive, so changed, so it's like I was given a background of things behind the scenes of why things work behind the scenes and try to um, live. Uh, I try to live a life of example so that if someone saw something, they'd go, wow, are you doing that? How, how are you thinking like that? What the heck is that? I guess I would, it's changed me um, psychically. So my consciousness is more broke open. My heart's broke open. I'm not as closed. I'm not as closed-minded or closed-thinking or closed in any way, more wide, wide open without being, um, you know, someone said, if you can't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I guess I'm a more of a, a open skeptic. I'm not, you know, like Natalie Sedman and I just had a podcast where we talk about, you know, we still grieve, we still hurt, we still, you know, we're still human, we still have bad days, we're still grouchy, um, you know, mm. that hasn't changed. But I think my expansiveness has changed. I didn't mention in your bio or your introduction, but you are an acupuncturist. How do you view acupuncture now after having your NDE and understanding the energy? <laughs> the needles are for show. <laughs> mm. um, <clears throat> I do a lot of um, non-local healing, a lot of space healing, a lot of... Um, use of other beings on the other side come and help me heal. Um, 
so I understand that. I understand healing better. Uh, there's healings on different levels. There's healings on physical levels. There's healing on psychic levels, ethereal levels. And um, so I'm with a group of healers that um, we do things a little different than most. So I do a lot of, lot of non-local healing with permissions. So if Jeff, you said, Donna, can you, can you do a healing for me tonight? So I do, I do a lot more meditations. I meditate probably, oh man, five hours a day. I don't know how. Hmm. I'm in meditation a lot. Um, and I do what they call parallel processing meditation. So I'm talking to you and I look conscious. I'm also meditating in another dimension. I know that's like freaky stuff. <laughs> the scientist me goes, what did you just say? <laughs> so, well, for my audience, it's not freaky. It's okay. every day. Well, so I, I, I heal in a different dimension at the same time. Because remember, time is changed. So I can be healing. Uh, I, I go out to certain aspects in the universe. I have a couple of healing centers that I go to in a couple of different dimensions. And I have a center there and with with. Uh, healers that are with me and we'll we'll heal you energetically we'll heal you so that uh, at the higher vibration so that if we get that healing at the higher vibration when it slows down into who jeff is your vibration it'll be helping you um heal and so far working on an als patient that we've kept at work out of leg braces and out of a wheelchair for a year Mm, doing it's great acupuncture it's really it's sports medicine acupuncture with um, supersized. <laughs> with energy on the side. With, with energy, that's really the heart of it, yeah. You mentioned a podcast, and your podcast is called Exploring Consciousness with Donna. Yes. Can you give me your definition of consciousness? Oh, my gosh. We spend hours and hours talking about consciousness. Mm. And um, there's subconscious, consciousness, superconsciousness. There's, there's a million things. And the most common definition is awareness, becoming aware. So mm-hmm. for me, it's, um, it's being aware. It goes back to that choice, Jeff, that we were talking about. So when you go through life and you just, you know, like I, I go to work, I'm, you know, I started out my life in a factory. I was in a pickle factory. And I know what it's like to stand there doing nothing mindless for eight hours in a factory. It's mindless. You're not aware. You're just sitting there thinking about, you know, when I go home, I'll have a beer or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's really a mindless life. So I know what that life is like. So to live a, a, a conscious life, an aware life, a um, life full of choices, it's, it is harder. It takes more energy. It takes a lot of energy to, to live a good life. It didn't take a lot of energy to throw pickles in a jar and go home and have a beer, watch TV. It doesn't take any energy at all. The life I live now is high energy, high frequency, um, <clears throat> conscious awareness. So it's being very aware and then doing something about it to me is consciousness. Do you think our bodies are manifestations of our consciousness or our consciousness is something separate from our body, like a dual system? I think I follow Tom Campbell's virtual reality concept. So I think we're avatars in a virtual reality. I think that's what we are. I think our con- these are sleeves or avatars or this allows us to have our consciousness have feedback and move in the world and, and grow and evolve. So our bodies are, um, I would call our bodies, I, I, I tell my friends a lot, my avatar, my avatar's work, you know, getting worked up here. Can't walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dragging my leg around, my little avatar leg. 
Do you have any tips for the audience on how to raise their energy and be more healthy? Oh, that's a, that's a great question, Jeff. Um, <clears throat> advice or thoughts or let's see. I think I've said a lot about becoming aware of thinking about what you're doing to awareness. And if you're talking about health, then you're talking about physical health, mental health, spiritual health. There's, there's different dimensions of health. Mm-hmm. So if it's physical health, um, I do a lot of, I follow Paul Stamets in uh, the microbial world and uh, fantastic fungi. So in terms of health, I think um, his, his research on fungus and health in the human body is very important. So nutrition, exercise, I mean, the regular stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, spiritual health, um, what are you really thinking? What's your belief? Don't just walk through the world unconscious of what your belief system is or what your cosmology is. I know before my near death, it was always like, what's on the other side? I wonder what's there. Is it going to be like this? Do people do this? Do they do that? Now that I've seen it, it's like, holy moly. It's like, it just broke open. It doesn't just, you know, read, read, listen, listen to Jeff's podcast. Listen to what people are saying. Assimilate what they're, you know, listen to what people are saying. What do you believe and not believe? Because that's basic to our human nature is do we believe this or not believe it? When you go through your life, you, you spend a lot of time thinking that way. Like Jeff said this. Oh, man, Jeff's really, he's on a UFO. He's an alien. I don't know if I believe that. Hmm. Or you know, is, there, is it possible that what Jeff's saying, he was on an alien spaceship and that really happened? What are the possibilities? Like break open the possibilities and just... Suspend your belief system for a moment, open up possibilities, and then assimilate that. See what works for you. It doesn't, like I said before, you don't have to believe everything. Um, mental health, uh, how, are you, how are you thinking? How are you, uh, are you getting depressed? Are you, you know, how much did the pandemic hurt you? And what I tell people for that is move. Move outside yourself. So I've volunteered in Phoenix at the food banks for 30, 40 years. Get outside yourself for your own mental health, if possible, if you can go volunteer somewhere. So my volunteer life is training seeing-eye dogs, feeding the homeless, working with child crisis nursery, to get outside yourself for your mental health. Um, So that's spiritual, mental, physical, emotional health. Um, I laugh and cry a lot. I like to go to the extreme. So I watch TV that's going to make me laugh a lot. I'm going to watch movies or something that's going to make me cry a lot. Because I want to be cathartic. I want to be, you know, balanced. And I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of things for my brain. So I want to be left-brained and right-brained. So I'm a musician. I'm an artist. I'm a writer. I try to, I'm a linguist. I try to learn different languages. I try to keep stretching and moving to be expansive and balanced. But other than that... <laughs> Thank you for those. Do you fear death at all? No, no, that's not even, there's no, no. People, I would say, the only part of that I would fear, like if I was in pain, like if I was in a car wreck or something like that, I'd be like, oh man, that hurt. You know? mm-hmm. But as far as, uh, no, transitioning, no, I talk to people every night. I go over there every night. It's, you know, I'm over there all the time, so. Besides the physical damage to your leg and knee, have you had any negative after effects from your NDE? Yeah, my lungs. Um, I swallowed a lot of lake water, um, so my lungs are 
just a wreck. So my avatar got messed up. So in German, when you get messed up, you're cronk. You know, something's not working. It's cronk. Mm. So I walk around going, my avatar is cronk, man. <laughs> my avatar is cronk. <laughs> it's messed up. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, I didn't trademark that, so everybody can use that. They can walk around going, man, my avatar is cronk. There you go. <laughs> to all the people that you told in your life about your NDE, your family and friends especially, how did they react to it? Uh, it's, a, it's a range of... If I had a thousand people in front of an auditorium and doing a speak, it it ranged from total disbelief to, oh my God, you saw God, you know everything. So it's a range of human um, reactions to. It's a product of your the neurons in your brain firing, and so you know, no, it's it's really not. But I. I'm not going to prove it to you. You're, you're going to have an experience of it. You're going to die, and you're going to go, oh, my God, Donna was right. <laughs> Especially being a scientist, why do you think so many people disbelieve? Well, I think it's hard to believe. It's Like I said before, Jeff, the number one thing for us as human beings is the belief system. What do we believe and what don't we believe all the time? And so when it's when we have a set rule of belief system, it allows us to go through the world organized, and we can... Um, cope we can we can navigate this world with with that little sheet with that little donna's belief system so when you come up against someone that's that's so totally opposite you go i just can't believe that i can't because they can't Mm -hmm. and it's okay that you can't it's okay that you don't believe me it's okay that you think i'm making it up it because it's my experience so if i if i went horseback riding and i got on this beautiful stallion and i had this great experience and i came back to the barn and i told you about it you can't go i don't believe your experience <laughs> you, know, you just go you can't you didn't you can't have that experience that i just had but it's my experience so it's kind of like that with the with the near death or anything that i explain is that we're very complex we're very layered we have um Lots of things we need to do here and learn here. And there's 7 billion of us each having a 7 billion different reality set. There are 7 billion different reality sets on this planet. So how could I expect you to even think like I think? So it's like, you know, let me just, you know, if I tell, you know, I mean, so I've heard it all. I've heard it from, you know, you're crazy to, you know, you're God or whatever it does. I am who I am. I'm Donna having this experience in this part of this century, in this culture, doing the best I can with what I have. What do you think inspires you about your experience? Holy cow, Jeff. You're good. <laughs> what you. inspires me about yeah. myself or what inspires me about life? Your NDE. How is it oh. inspiring to you? Well, I, I love that it broke me open. I love that. I love, I love growing and maturing and stretching and <clears throat> open up to possibilities. I love being able to bump up against things I couldn't believe in before and go, oh, well, you know, I do, do talk to those beings now. I, you know, I do go out of body every night. I do do remote viewing that has evidence. I have evidence that, you know, I remote viewed something that, you know, outside the senses. So I love that the NDE did that. I love that it created a time vacuum for me. I love that it, um, I love that the people that I've been introduced to that want to hear about the NDE, if I can help them without, um, I just love helping people. You know that. You help people. 
So there's there's a it's like when I was a teacher and you would watch the light bulb go off in a student's mind. There's something um, addictive to that for a teacher. And for a healer, it's something inside yourself that is that I would call inspiration when you see someone when you see someone feel better. When someone says, A year ago I thought I'd be dead or in the wheelchair and I'm working. How do you how do you not how do you not feel um, inspired by that? I don't know. I, lo- I just those kinds of things inspire me, helping people on a one-to-one basis. You mentioned that you were contacting or communicating with your guides. How do we contact our own guides and communicate with them? That's a great question. Um, <clears throat> It brings up a couple of points for me. One, Henry Ford, he has a quote, if you think you can, or if you think you can't, you're probably going to be right. Mostly what stops us is our own thinking, that we think we can't, it's not capable, we can't, or what if, or fear, fear is big. You know, like, I'm afraid that I'm going to contact this person and I'm going to get the devil, you know, or I'm going to get Satan, or I'm opening myself up to the other side, which is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so you can, you remember what we were talking before about God wanting us to have as much free will as we can? So he gave us that ability. He gave us a lot of power. He gave us the power to protect ourselves, even on the other side. So you can say, in my free will that was given to me by God, I will protect myself from any being or entity that will do me any harm. You're not to come around me. I only want the good. So you can do any kind of saying ahead of time that's an affirmation or a protection. And then you can say, for the greater good, I'd like to blah, blah, blah. I'd like to hear from my guide, whatever. And there's a difference between intention and expectation. So I have an intention to talk to my guide. Then I let it go. I don't expect to hear from them that night at 7 o'clock on the radio. And it's being aware of how many different ways they can talk to you. So they talk through songs, through books, through other people, through billboards, through... There's, there's lots of communication that's going on when you become aware. So for me, I was, you know, like with musicians, you know, there's some people that are just really, really good guitar players, right? You know, they just, you can practice and there's some people that can do a lick just by picking it up. So I think that's true in psychic abilities, too, that people are, uh, you know, however evolved they are, they've gone through so many iterations and they're so evolved that they they already can contact their spirits right away. So I think there's those kinds of things. But just to ask and be open in a way that you, you check your fear. Again, remember I said you're always monitoring how you're thinking. So are you having a fear response? Are you afraid? Because that'll be, that'll be a red light to the other side. You know, like, oh, they're too scared. I'm not coming over. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, for me, um, I, I'm in contact with them all, all the time, parallel processing. Even as we speak, I'm in contact with them. And that's practice. So that's why I did the podcast, trying to the exploring consciousness to help people get ideas on how to begin the path if they don't know how to do it because it's going to take practice. You just don't sit down one day and go, okay, guardian angel, what's this answer? You know, it's just not going to work that way. So you, if you can, uh, you can listen to the podcast, you can listen to what some of the psychics are saying. 
But I like to tell people, read books, go to workshops, and just have an intent and a protection and let go of the expectation. And be aware of, you know, like, Jeff, maybe I was, maybe your guide talked to my guide and I said something. And you go, oh, I hadn't considered that possibility. That's a communication from your guide. You just, it just went through a couple of different channels. So you have to be open to the possibilities and not limit how they're going to communicate to you. I guess you have to also be open that some of your answers from your guides may seem like coincidences, like you said, right. from a billboard or a song. Correct. And trust they're from your guides. And trust. It's a lot of trust. And you're not going to get, remember sometimes the answer is no. <laughs> you know? Like Natalie and I were just talking about that. And sometimes we can hear our guides laughing at us. Like when we, we put in a request for something that's so outrageous you can hear way in the background this laughter like, yeah, you got to be kidding me. No, you got to work that on your own. <laughs> You're on your own on that one. So you don't, you know, it's not, it's not a, um, yeah, you can listen to that podcast with Natalie. That's coming up, coming up here, my next one. Hmm. And we talk a lot about what that really looks like. So it's, 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 um, it's, not, it's not a telephone communication where you just pick it up and you, it's a direct link. A lot of times it's in symbols or metaphors or through other channels. Um, so if you open yourself up to the possibilities of these communications, and a lot of times people say, well, how do you know it's not myself? How do I know it's not Satan? How do I know it's not? I say, well, because you have an intelligence. You know, it's like you have common sense. So some of that can be common sense. Like, to, I, I'm a pilot, so I, I fly little Cessnas. But I want to go out and I want to have a Boeing 747 delivered to my front door. Can you, can you do that? So there's some requests that are so outrageous that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I could be open to the possibility all I want, but, you know, really, come on. So it's, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, I know them well. And, and sometimes it sounds like me. It sounds like it's like myself in my head. And <clears throat> it's not a voice. It's a knowing in my skin. I know that a lot in my skin. So I, it's like I said, something freaky happy happened with my skin. But someone's talking, and I'll get cold chills, or I can, I can feel something change in my my visceral, my avatar, and I'll go, oh yeah, that's that's definitely not for me. Hmm. It doesn't make sense. It's interesting that you mention fear, because sometimes on this podcast we've talked about that people are unable to get out of their body and have an out-of-body experience due to, due to that fear. Uh, that's why I, I just did a podcast with Tom Campbell, and he, he introduced something called Tom's Park, and it's an e-book, and it's for people that can't get out of their way. They want to have an out-of-body, but they're so fearful. And he introduces them to the paranormal through this park, and it's using your imagination. So you start with your imagination and an intent. I want to talk to my dad. My dad's been dead for a long time. I want to talk to my dad. But I can go to this park, and he has a map, a physical map that you can get, and you just sit there and daydream. Everybody can daydream or have an imagination. I'm going to go to a bench. I'm just going to imagine that my dad's there. And I'm going to say, hey, Dad, you know, I miss you. And you just start making up a conversation. <clears throat> and over time, as you practice that, I go in the park. I, I go in the park every day. I go an hour a day into the park and just, you know, play around in there and then after a while you get used to this after a month or so that conversation starts taking on there's no way that I could have said that that had to be from my dad 
And then you can keep going and going, and there's places where you can go to have an out-of-body experience in the park. So I tell people that are fearful, they can start at Tom's Park. It's an e-book. Try that. And that's why I do the podcast, trying to give people different experiences. If that didn't work, it's really difficult to just sit there and go out-of-body, out-of-body, without any preparation, because you can get a fear test. You can go to the other side, and you can get thrown out of the library. You can get your library card re- you know, rebuked because you didn't have the right proper respect. You asked the wrong question. <laughs> In other words, you know, I want to be a millionaire and I want you to give me the lottery numbers. You know, I mean, it's just, there's just certain things. There's conventions even on the other side. There's conventions here. There's rule set here. There's rule sets there. So if, you, if you're sincere, because fear is, fear is very real it's people are afraid and people don't want to believe and those are big three big things we got to overcome fear of death fear of the unknown and fear of being looked to be silly you know people those are the fears people have and it's they're real so it's like get get educated um practice you know as a professional athlete and someone came up to me once and said hey rebido I can do what you're doing. And I said, you probably can, but there's a difference between you and me. And they said, what? And I said, I'm willing to pay the price to make my dreams come true. Are you? Hmm. So you have to be able to pound the pavement. You've got to pay the price to make your dreams come true. There's no shortcuts. Sorry. It's practice. If you met somebody that was grieving because their spouse or child or friend is has transitioned to the other side, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, I was a college, uh, college I was a hospital chaplain. It was one of the things I volunteered as, as a hospital chaplain. So dealt, dealt with a lot of uh, death and grief. You meet people where they are. You sit with them. You find out what their needs are. Don't go in with an agenda. Oh, I had a near-death experience, so I know everything, so I'm going to be the one to tell you how this is. No, it's sit with them. People want to be held and touched. You hug them. You hold their hand. You, you say things like, I sit with you in your grief. I send the love into the cracks of your grief in your heart. Your heart is cracked open with grief. Let me give you the bomb of love. You know, just meet them where they are. Then if they want to ask questions about my NDE or the other side. So I worked with my good friend Cindy, who was dying of breast cancer. We worked together for 13 years across the hall from each other. Her kids adopted me. She's in the process of dying, and I'm sitting with her. And she says, tell me your NDE again. Tell me. Tell me your NDE again. I told my NDE to my friend Cindy a hundred million times. A hundred million times. And she died. And there were her kids. And they look at me, and I have near death, and they look at their mother, and she's dead. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? You grab the kid, you hug them, and you cry, and you let them cry. Because the hardest thing on this planet is death. We all have to face it, and it's just tough. But we survive death. We survive death. Our consciousness survives death. And you go on, and you move, and you don't have to believe me or not. It, and it, it's just really, just to be human and the human condition to help one another. And you do that by loving and hugging and holding. And answer the questions the best you can as they come up.
All right, I need to switch gears on you here. Um, okay. <laughs> I got a light. Okay, lighten just, up. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I'm going into, I'm transitioning to something else, and we were so okay. serious, it's hard to make that transition. Sorry, sorry man, I'm trying to help you. No, no, I, I, I think it was fantastic. So your podcast, again, is called Exploring Consciousness with Donna. Do we find that on your website or just Yeah, Google it's on that? all the, it's on the, all, all, if you do a search for Exploring Consciousness, on any podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google. It's on every podcast that you can think of. My website, exploreconsciousness.com, has all my episodes. I'm up to 105 episodes right now. We do, um, uh, I do one guest a month. Uh, Monday, the, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of the second week. On Monday, in, I introduce my guest. I'll say, here's how I know Jeff. Jeff mm-hmm. and I met this way. On Wednesday, I have someone that knows Jeff. And, and the Wednesday guest and I talk about Jeff. And then on Friday, Jeff and I talk, hmm, and we explore. We explore different. So I have psychics and mediums and healers and physicists and musicians because music is a portal to the other world. Hmm. So as musicians, so I play Native American flute, acoustic guitar, and the didgeridoo. And oh, cool! That's all uh, opens portals to the other side for me too. And I have a healing flute uh, uh, tuned at four. 432 hertz so sound and frequencies are really what it where it's at so i used to play didgeridoo i think i still i used to actually make them out of pvc pipe and beeswax but have you been able to circular breathe no not yet no it's hard i've been doing it a year and i still like circular breathing is my downfall and yep. for, for, for people who, who don't know what I'm talking about, it's a, the ability to kind of keep breathing out and then inhale through your nose at the same time. So it's like you, the, the, the air coming out of your mouth never stops and the sound never stops. Correct. I, I cannot do circular breathing. Yeah. <laughs> so I play, I, I play the ditch for like about three minutes. <laughs> you just play it in breaths. And I, I do that for my lungs. So yeah. remember, I got really just terrible lungs. So I, I picked up the dig and the flute for my lungs. All right. Well, you working on anything that you'd like us to know about? Well, I'm writing two books. Um, one of the th- ways I volunteered, I trained seeing eye dogs and my seeing eye dog and I were, um, volunteers at Maricopa medical center for four and a half years every Wednesday. So I'm writing a book about those experiences with my medical intuitive dog, Sadie. And, uh, the other book I'm writing is, um, about possibilities and what what that's about is my life story from being uh, working in the pickle factory to a waitress in switzerland to a hospital chaplain college professor professional athlete sports medicine acupuncture i, I tell all my stories about human growth and potential mm. just but other qu- than that just quickly how did you wind up in switzerland oh my gosh um i was uh working on my college newspaper in uh, Texas, at Plainview, Wayland Baptist College in Plainview, Texas. Mm-hmm. And across the desk came uh, an article on, you can, you can work in Switzerland, and I fell in love and went there. Wow, that's awesome. I don't know what you said. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions or chit-chat with you. Are you open to that? And if so... Should they reach you through your website or Facebook or email or? Yeah, uh, uh, you can you can do Facebook. Um, I, I I have a hard time having 
joining friends with people I don't know. So if you ask to be my friend, I, that's where my family and people are. So if you want to just talk to me, I think my email is 411explore at gmail.com. 411explore at gmail.com. You can email me. Um, how else do people get a hold of you? I mean, yeah, I mean, usually, I mean, nowadays it's either Facebook or email yeah, for, yeah. for the most part. I mean, if you, uh, I don't, without being friends on Facebook. You can still message people. Yeah, so just message me, I guess, yeah. that way. Yeah. I, right. WhatsApp. I have people <clears throat> around the world ask for my healing, so I'm, I'm online a lot. And I tend to be, it seems to be personal messages or WhatsApp. Before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? <laughs> oh, my God. Love, 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 love. I, I, I can be flippant and say when, when the tough gets going, the, when, the, when the going gets tough, the tough put, puts cookies in their purse. My sister and I laugh about that oh. a lot, when the tough gets going. When things happen in your life, if you realize that it, it's... 90% of how you react to it. You know, so something happens. I never have said in my life, oh, why is me? Why, why me? I've never said that in my life. When things happen to me, I say, what can I do about this? What can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? Even though it really sucks and it hurts and I cry, but how can I be better? I, I guess I just want to keep moving forward and being better. I never want there's to, no, there's no moss that'll ever grow on me. I will keep moving. It's, most of my friends say, what are you doing next? What are you, how many things are you doing? And I usually try to only do like three or four things at one time. So just, just keep moving and growing and um, every, just, I don't know, does that make sense, Jeff? Just to be, to be the best you can be, to be helpful, to be honest honest, loving, caring, kind. Do that. Every Make those choices. Make those choices. Not stop doing stuff like, oh, woe is me, I'm a victim, blah, 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 blah. blah. Stop it. <laughs> Donna, thank you for that message, and thank you again for being my guest today. I wish you the best. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. You're going to be on my show, right? Sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.